right? Those are even super cool. And they sometimes match. And I've got this gym bag, and it needed an oil change way back in the day, right? And it smells like a, well, it's like a Petri dish. All the sweaty clothes that go in and come out. It just stinks. It doesn't look good. But I know my way around it. You know, I mean, it's got all the pockets and crevices and I just know, and it's so easy to pack a gym bag because you don't ever pack a gym bag. You just kind of toss stuff in and maybe throw stuff back out and, and it's just kind of easy and it works. And I justify it with, I'm not moving in. I'm just staying here for a couple days. What's the big deal, right? I use my gym bag every day at the gym. Why would I not use it here? You see, how much we settle here on earth, how much we settle is determined by our view of permanence and transition. Okay, tenure, how long we plant our feet down kind of determines the level to which we unpack. And this is why whenever you rent a car, you don't rush out and get personalized floor mats or put a decal on the back of whatever you do with your decals. You don't do that because you're not looking to settle in that car. It's temporary. You're going to turn it right back in. You know, one of the doctrinal tenets that we have in this church, but I believe a doctrinal tenet for all of, of good Christianity is that now and today is not our forever. What we have now is not permanent. God will come back and he will roll everything up eventually. He will come and he will renovate all of creation. Everything that sin has touched, everything that evil has come and twisted, he will undo and he will unveil for you and me a new heaven and a new earth. And this always feels like a sub-doctrine, doesn't it? It always feels like a sub-truth. It's kind of good to know, but not really effective to help us live. But what it tells you and me is that this is not our home. And the soil that we stand on, that's transitional soil. The air that we breathe is transitional air, really. This rock that we live on will be remade to God's glory, but it is not our home now. Even the life you live now will be eclipsed by a life with no pain and no tears. Nothing to provoke sadness in you. Nothing to even create a tear in your tear duct. That's the life that is coming. Think of it as being on a layover in an airport. For some reason, I don't care where I'm flying to, I always end up in Charlotte. For whatever reason, I don't know, but Charlotte's where I always end up. So I know where all the digs are there, the restaurants, the shops, and everything. But to be honest, Charlotte's not my home. I'm going home, and I've got a gym bag. So I don't look to roost there in Charlotte. Now, looking at reality in this way, it will have consequences, big consequences. Having a finish line that's just a little bit different than the world that is around you, it's going to make you look a little bit more like a freak. You're going to stick out. There just is transitions, and we're living in one. And the one that we live in now is going to have repercussions representing not this hometown, but your next hometown will make you look a little bit weird and a little bit more like an alien. But to see our existence here is a shifting shadow or a vapor, that's kind of hard to look at, isn't it? I mean, it takes me a while to get there. I don't spring out of bed and think, hey, listen, I mean, it might be tough today, but everything's going to go away pretty soon. This is all one big transition, and soon Jesus is going to come back and undo all the hard stuff and all the painful stuff, and everything's going to be fine. No one, no one really does that. It takes some getting to, and that's because it's supernatural. It's natural to live by sight and look around. It's very different. It's a supernatural thing to live with this faith that God is doing something different, and this is not our home, right? The reason I'm bringing all this up is because I feel like many of us in the room might be half unpacked. 
Somewhere between treating this place as home and treating this place as a layover. And so because this piece of theology radically affects all others, I felt like it provokes at least a closer look. Now, all summer, we've been methodically going through the book of Genesis in order to take a look at Abraham. It's really been a study on Abraham, but Genesis has been where we've been launching from, and we've probably chewed through 10 chapters because there's a lot of Abraham in Genesis, right? And we're tying a bow on that series today, um, but we're not going to go through Genesis. We're going to go into Hebrews where he's mentioned a lot, right? Because it turns out Abraham never unpacked his bag. He left the land looking for a land. And because he did this, and he did it well, God considered him faithful and considered him a friend. Abraham was able to look down the road and see that God was building something better, permanent, where he would unpack someday. But where he is at right now, he's just going to be going from tent to tent. That's what reality was going to look like for him. So let's look at Hebrews 11 and just let the Bible tell us what this looked like as God speaks so affectionately for Abraham. And we're going to be in the 11th chapter. It's a very common chapter. A lot of you, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've probably read this several times. But I want you to look at verse 8 and consider how Abraham looked at this reality. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went into the, to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone, then they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered what God, or that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. We're going to pause right there. What I want you to see in this is that the author of Hebrews, and we say the author because we're not quite sure who read it or who wrote it. Um, some say Paul, some say Apollos. But the author of Hebrews paints a picture of Abraham's life by using words like foreign land, strangers, exiles, living in tents, right? That's one that's easily accessible to us even today because, listen, I love camping, and it's funny how as, as the years have gone on now, it's like the Jetsons. You can get a tent and li literally throw it up in the air, and it turns into a tent before it hits the ground, right? As cool as that is, and I'm sure it's, 
I'm sure it's a lot of fun. It's, it's still living in a tent, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you still have bugs, still got to take your dumb shoes off before you go in. You still have to air it out when you're done. It's living in a tent. It's living in a tent. And there's always this romantic idea of how easy and simple life would be if we just lived in and out of tents. But no. Even people who have done that are like, man, it'd be nice to have a house. It'd be nice to live in a place with a door and a key and a place I didn't have to air out or anything like that. This, these are the phrases that this author is using to paint the picture of Abraham. And why was he doing this? He's doing it because he's looking ahead to a different place. He's looking out in front instead of the soil underneath his feet. But this isn't how we naturally just spring out into our days, thinking like this. It takes some time. Why? Because everything feels so permanent, doesn't it? Nothing looks like it's vanishing like a mist. Everything just looks like it's gonna keep going. I mean, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. You have the same bills, you have the same problems, you have everything just kind of follows you from day to day. It doesn't, doesn't anything look like it's a vapor that's disappearing. But Abraham had faith and he considered a place long before him where God was this brilliant and creative and thoughtful architect as this passage is leading us to believe, and a thorough and strong contractor and builder. Not just building with his strength and his might, but building with his blood and his sweat and his tears and a perfect lived life. I like how the message says it. The message is a translation of the Bible that Eugene Peterson did back in the day. I feel like every third time I bring this up, I need to say that a lot of translations of the Bible could be seen as a word-for-word -word translation. Eugene Peterson wrote a work that is more of a thought-for-thought -thought translation. Okay, what that means is, is he took the thought of a passage and he kind of refashioned it in a way that we could read it today, maybe from a more accessible posture. So if you're into studying the Bible, kind of tearing it apart and dissecting it and getting underneath the language, the message isn't really going to be where you want to go for that. You're going to want to go to a different translation like the NAS or the ESV or even the NIV would be better. Um, but it is helpful from time to time to take a, just a quick glimpse at how he says it because it's been helpful. It's been helpful for me. And he says in this passage, I'll say it this way, they saw it way off in the distance, this perfect land. And they waved their greeting, and they accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. It's like living in a rental home when your dream home is being built right across town. You're just not going to dig in and put roots down. So this passage has been one that's helped me kind of see my current place in reality and how much I unpack. And it's helped me embrace terms like transient and visitor and, and sojourner and, and, and words like that. It's helped me become more comfortable with it when I see it in the context of Hebrews 11. And, and the author of Hebrews is not the only person to have spoken on this level. Peter, when he addresses the church, in 1 Peter, he's addressing those who are the elect exiles, right? 1 John, he actually talks a lot about how this world, as much as it looks permanent, is passing away. James speaks to the church, and he says, this life is but of mist. It just dissipates over time, and we're gone. It's just like that, right? That one's probably the most helpful for me, the mist one. I guess just because it's a picture. I was thinking about this the other day when um, I was leaving Costco with my wife. I didn't even want to go to Costco, right? Because nobody wants to go to Costco. But my wife is much smarter than I am. Her IQ is through the roof compared to mine. So she, she tricked me 
and to go into Costco with her. So I went because I love her. <laughs> and we did the thing you do, you, you trade something in or whatever at the return desk and you go get what you want and then you leave. But as we were leaving and walking towards the truck, this guy walks towards us to pass us and he's vaping, right? So he's creating little puffs and clouds. I could see him coming forever away. And when he got close to me, poof, this big cloud and I walked right through it right? Now, this is what my brain was doing. I'm going to describe what was going on in my brain. I thought, bro, that is so rude, dot, 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 bubble gum, <laughs> or strawberry daiquiri, or starburst. They all smell the same once they get citrusy, you know, dot, dot, dot. That's still kind of rude, though, isn't it? Dot, dot, dot. There's my truck. Can we finally go home, right? That's what my brain was doing, which makes me sound, now that I say it out loud, it makes me sound like a Labrador retriever more than a, than a human. But it helped, me, it helped me because when I turned around to look at that guy, the puff was already gone. It was gone. And the Lord just reminded me for a quick second, that's how long you're here. In the scheme of things, that's how long you're here, and then you're gone, right? You are here as exiles, church. You are here as sojourning travelers. You are on a layover living out of a gym bag of sorts, okay? Now, I've done as good a job as I can in a short amount of time of describing the here. But just as this place is a transition for us, God is preparing a different place for us, our new hometown, what this passage actually calls a homeland, right? Verse 16, just look back in your Bible. It won't be on the screen. It says, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So we hear country, we hear city, and don't get all caught up in, well, does he mean something different right there? You're, you would be missing the spirit of the passage. Basically, a better place is being created. In fact, Jesus, back in John, when he's speaking to his disciples, he describes it as a mansion. as a house with many rooms. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Country, city, house, place. What are we supposed to see in this? You know, whenever we marched through the book of John, it took a year to do it, but whenever we went through the book of John and we got to this passage, the big punchline that we were excited to land on is that Jesus is just the ultimate host incredibly hospitable to you and me, outsiders that don't even deserve to get to come in. He makes a space for us that is warm and that is welcome, much warmer and much more welcome than the place we live in now. He's an ultimate host providing for us at his cost, at our benefit, right? There, church, listen, there is a place, city, a country, a house, there is a place that was thoughtfully considered, designed, built, sweat through by God himself. So, so far, I've done what I could to show you that this is not our home, and I've done the best I could to show you that our home is waiting. But the big question that we really need to tackle is what tempts us to treat our here and now as the most important thing? Why unpack? Why are we tempted to unpack here, right? I think the answer is pretty easy. It's because living by sight, that's natural, comes naturally, and it's easy. But living by faith, not so natural, not so easy, right? 
I think that's all it is. I think living by sight is easy, it's natural. Living by faith is not. That requires faith and trust, which are gifts from God. So as a result, we get up out of bed in the morning, put our feet on the ground, we stretch out, we get ready for the day, and we don't think this is a transitionary stage for me to live a gospel form life to point people to Jesus. We look around and we are easily convinced that ultimate joy can be found here in this place without God. Comfort and security can be found in this place without God. We're easily convinced. Even if we don't have these things called comfort, joy, and security, we at least think that we can get our hands on those things, and that's important to us. You see, living by sight, it has an idea of what a win looks like. It's typically what the the grander world in general sees as a win. And when you and I, when we live according to sight instead of according to faith, we form the same ideas that pretty much everybody else does. For instance, building silos to hold more stuff is smart because more stuff is better than not as much stuff. And if you have a lot of stuff, you win. Shiny stuff, new stuff, stuff that flies, stuff that's upgraded, stuff that no one else has. Getting the most stuff is better than not having stuff. So you have to do whatever it takes to get stuff, keep stuff, hold stuff, and not lose stuff. That's what it means to live by sight. What about pain? We're going to chase comfort in order that we don't have pain because pain can never be good. Pain can only be bad, which is not true, by the way. We're going to get into that in a couple weeks. There is a gospel design even behind pain, believe it or not. But living by sight says that hurts. That's horrible. So we'll do anything to escape pain, anything unheard of things. What about friendship? Loneliness is horrible. Friends solve that. So I need to get as many friends as possible. Those who die with the most friends win, right? Says those who live by sight and not by faith. You see, when culture believes that there is no tomorrow, only today, that is a form of eschatology. That's not a word I use very often, by the way. I definitely never use it in a sermon, so I am pulling it out and kind of unwrapping it for you. Eschatology is something that you'll hear in a lot of seminaries, not a lot of pulpits. All it is is it's a kind of theology that is focused on the end, the eschaton, the end, right? So the end of all things, the judgment, the new heavens, the new earth, the destiny of your souls, that's all in eschatology, and every one of us has one. Everyone out there has one, right? Eschatology is just not for seminary grads. We all have one. Teenagers have an eschatology. But those with an atheistic eschatology, they will unpack and they will make the best of today because there is no tomorrow. Those with a Christian eschatology, they understand that they're travelers today, so they can't treat this place as home, and that, friends, changes everything, and it has repercussions. It changes everything, and it has repercussions. Let's look in 1 John 2. 1 John 2 is a very, very important passage. This book of 1 John If you're a new student of the Bible and you're just now learning to read the Bible, this would be a great place for you to go and and meditate on. It's very, very deep, but it is very helpful. In the 15th verse of the second chapter, 1 John 2, 15, it'll be on the screen. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, period, New sentence, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And here he is, and the world is passing away, along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
John's just talking about the Hebrews passage that we're all talking about right now. This is a passage about unpacking, right? But this could be difficult for you and me as the church to balance because we're all looking for the bigger, better minivan, right? We're all looking to, I don't know, find some way to invest to to get our kids in and out of college or to to paint the dining room again. We're all looking to get, get back into shape. We're all looking to do things like that. We're all looking long-term. And this is wise, by the way, to do this, to look long-term. The Bible speaks for us to look long-term and be good stewards of the resources God has given us, of this time and place that we live in right now, whether it's time, money, friends, plans, opportunities. We are not taught to act as if this place does not matter. We are taught to live gospel forum lives while we were sitting on the stage of this part of eternity. Right? For example... This thing that we call community or the church, it's, we don't do this because we're checking it off of a list. This is part of a gospel-formed life. Because look around. Who are you hanging out with in this room if it's not right here in this moment? Easily. Let me say easily. Right? Affinities are easy to get people around each other. You have a two-year-old, I have a two-year-old. High five. We could be friends. But, but in places like this, when you don't look like the person across the aisle... And you don't make as much money as the person across. This, this is hard to just do. But a gospel form life paints this as a canvas that shows the world that we are reconciled to each other and we get along, not because of who we are, but because of what was done for us. We have an anchoring truth in all of us called the gospel that draws us together. Even though we don't look like we would get along, even though in a different universe we'd probably never be friends, we get into a, a, a heated debate and we'd be gone. But this is different. What about marriage? I mean, there's not a single wedding ceremony I have done or will ever do that does not have this idea that a marriage done well points to the gospel, where a preferential, sacrificial, noble groom prefers the bride who trusts the groom. It's a picture of the gospel. That's why God invented it. So if you are doing a good job with your marriage, it should at least nuance for your kids, for your neighbors, for your spouse, what the gospel looks like. You don't just preach the gospel with your mouth, you preach it with your marriage. You don't just preach the gospel with your mouth, you preach it with Sunday morning in a a room like this. What about sacrificial giving? Writing checks, giving time, sacrificial giving. It's just the idea of impoverishing yourself because you're not hooked into the wealth of this world. And it harkens back to a better king who impoverished himself to make you wealthy. It's a gospel-formed action, not just something that you do. These things, they paint a canvas that help people see what forevermore looks like in the captain who built it with his life, death, and life. It's gospel-formed living. So, today matters. So if I've done a good job in my sermon up to this point, I've confused you, right? Because you're still wondering, do we unpack or do we not unpack? Is today important or is today not important? Just get to it, Luke, right? So I will, but I'm going to ask you a more important question that will kind of unlock it all, I hope. Are you using this world to satisfy you and your needs, or are you by faith trusting that God is better and he is doing something better for you, right? Let me explain. You cannot use this time and place and serve this time and place at the same time. You have to choose one. 
You cannot require of this time and place in this existence and serve this time and place at the same time. You have to choose one of them, okay? We've actually done some work on this in the past, just in a different category. We've looked at how we handle each other as people. We call it approval hunting, right? Now, not all of you were here when we went through that, so here's the theme of it. You cannot require and draw from people and then at the same time sacrificially invest in those people at the same time. You can't do it. You can't do it because if I need you to make me feel approved and I need you to make me feel significant, then I can't take a risk and tell you the truth. I'll jeopardize it. You might get mad at me. You might leave. You might disapprove of me, and then my approval rating falls. But, but, if I am totally satisfied and content in the approval that God has given me through his son, then I am free to tell you the truth. I'm free to take some risks. I'm free to actually just love you. But you can't do both. You can't require and sacrificially give at the same time. It's impossible. It's impossible. So the same idea works here. If you need this time and place to be a place of comfort, security, and ultimate joy that satisfies you at all times, and you cannot, cannot serve as a sacrificially sojourning ambassador of Jesus Christ. Christianity is a transition. We are living in a transition. If, however, I'm content in what God has done for me and the reality that he is creating for me, and if I'm content in the fact that love built that, the cross and the empty tomb created that place, that warm, hospitable place, that I can invest here and I could sacrificially give here easily because it's not my home and I don't need it to give me certain things for me to make it from day to day. I can take risks and then I can not panic when those risks don't turn out. I can invest and not come apart at the seams if my investments come up short. I could sacrificially love this city with everything even though the city won't ever love me back or even know who I am because I don't need it to give me things. I can rest at my king's feet even when the world is spinning off its tracks because I'm not resting my head here for rest. And I do think that's what Jesus was getting to with the young man. So going back to Jesus walking on earth, he's teaching, and when he teaches, everybody just shuts up and listens, right? He's a great teacher. So he's teaching, and you get the, the idealistic young man that will come forward and say, hey, I'm with you. I'm signing up on Team Jesus. And Jesus says this to him, locks it down, and he says this in Luke 9. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is he saying? You, you want to walk with me? How does alien sound? How about living in some tents? How about I can't pay my bills? We're going to go catch some fish, pull the money out of their mouths so we can pay taxes. How about this is not forever? How about we're not going to get much from this? And then the guy walks away sad. <laughs> That's what happens. Now, Jesus loved this place well, but only because he knew it wasn't his hometown. He had one, wasn't here. He wasn't unpacking wasn't going to use this place. Jesus loves this world without requiring the world to love him, and that's for your benefit and my benefit. He gave his everything for a place that's not even his home, right? So as a missionary to Knoxville, you will never be able to properly love Knoxville if you're requiring Knoxville to meet all of your puny needs. Won't happen. You cannot be a good ambassador of Jesus Christ if you are requiring the world to pet you and stroke you and make you feel comfortable and give you things to make you feel secure. It will never happen. Not in this time and place. If we were to take Abraham and his kids out of that passage in in Eugene Peterson's translation and put Jesus' name in, it works. 
Mrs. Jesus saw and longed for his home off in a distance, which we know he did. And Jesus waved a greeting and he accepted the fact that he was a transient on this stage. And friends, he's calling us to do the same thing. That's what he says in John 20. Just so I've been sent into this world, that's how you guys are sent too. That's what he's saying. His aliens, foreign, sojourning, traveling, exiles. That's who we are. And this is, a, this is a life of suffering, by the way, isn't it? Everything I'm describing is a level of suffering. Jesus endured a suffering while he was here, for this place here, even though he's not from here and he was not staying here, and he's calling you and me to suffer in the same degree because a gospel-formed life is a life that shares suffering with Jesus. And that could be preached from about 30 different passages. Look at 2 Timothy. I'll throw this up on the screen. Don't turn there. Stay where you're at. Paul says to Timothy, share in the suffering that we're talking about now as a good soldier of Christ Jesus because no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Getting entangled. That's what it feels like whenever we treat this place like home when it's not even our home. 1 John 2, when you go back to that and you talk about or you see John talking about the loves of the world and the love of God. I mean, what, what is the translation for all of this? The, the easy translation is go ahead and get the minivan. Go get the minivan with the double sunroofs. Don't get the one with just one. If you can afford it, get the one with two sunroofs. You'll never, you'll never regret that. Get the one with the screens on the back of the seat and the captain's chairs and the leather with the air coming through the seats. Got to get that. Get the minivan. Add on to the house. Do it. Add a big old thing on the end of that house. Invest in college, it's getting expensive. Work your way through that season on Netflix, especially before the new season comes out. Go ahead and get about it. Get a hobby. Get back in shape. Do all of these things knowing that this is not your home. Knowing that those things are never going to give you and fill that need that God is actively filling. Do so remembering that you're on a layover. Finding refuge in those things, that's going to burn you, friend. That's what idols tend to do. It will burn you. Do these things knowing that they're just eventually going to pass away soon and they never were designed to be your ultimate. You're just merely living out of a gym bag. See, Christianity, it's a life of transition, not settling, not settling. So if I were to drive some application into this for you the best I can, how can you tell if this is a problem in your life, right, which some of you have already started thinking? How can you tell if this is an active problem in your life? Maybe you've unpacked too much. Maybe you're a little confused. Maybe you're in between, right? couple quick metrics. This would probably be another series if we had time for it, but we don't. How uptight, how upside down do you get when the things of this world and your life get pushed around a little bit, threatened? How does that look? Do you come apart? I mean, because when I go to another city and stay in a hotel, we'll just use that same example, right? Let's say the stoplights are red a little too long for a town that size. That's what you're thinking in your head, right? And maybe you notice that the tax rate's a little too high for a town that size. And then you get to the hotel and the dumb lamp by the bed doesn't work and the AC smells like foot and you're like, man, this place, I mean, you'll get, you'll get aggravated and frustrated, but you're not gonna come apart, are you? I mean, you're not just like visibly melt into a puddle, are you? Why? Because you're going to be leaving soon. It's not like it's your hometown. It's not like it's your every day. You're gone eventually. You know, we typically come apart when something is removed that we've just invested a little bit too much into. That's called an idol. That's called an idol. We've given too much to it. 
That's one way you can tell. Just imagine it being gone. Imagine it being wrecked. Imagine it being removed from you, right? Another one is, do you look like culture? Maybe a little too much. Do you look like culture, dot, 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 maybe a little too much like culture? I'm all about being in the world. The, 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 my postgraduate schooling was in anthropology and missiology, and I am a church planter at my very core, so I am all about being soaking in the smoking sections of society, being where people are at. I'm all about being in the world, where everybody, and carrying the gospel to, to places that just don't ever get to see the light of the gospel brought in. So whenever I see someone, and they're cussing all the time, and they smell like weed, and they make out with someone of the same sex right in front of me, I'm not panicking, trying to come up with a script of what I'm supposed to say. Of course that's what they're going to do, and of course that's what I'm going to see. That's why I'm here, right? I even want to know why things are viral. Not just what is viral, but why is it viral? That's another part of being a missionary, right? Why are people clicking on this? Not, not just is it important to know the fact that there is a more devoted following to the beard and beer market than there is casual pint, but why? Why are people trooping to one and not the other? Why are people glutting in certain puddles? Why are they doing certain things? This is a part of wisely being in the world, but being of the world is totally different. Being of the world is where we are drawing our satisfaction from the same place that everybody else is. And that's just dumb. That's just dumb. It's going to wreck your life. It's going to wreck your witness. Because you're just picking up their eschatology. All that matters is the here and now. I'm unpacking. I'm using this to give me what I want it to give me because I don't trust that God is doing something special for me or that he has done something brilliant for me. Can I just give you my example of the month? Can we talk about Game of Thrones for a minute? Some of you are really wishing I wouldn't go there, right? Because I know today is the season finale. For some of you who don't know what that is, Game of Thrones is the most watched show in HBO history, right? The over 11 million watchers per episode, and that's just what they record in real time. Today it's going to be a lot more, I know it is, right? It's more of a show. It's almost a cultural phenomenon. It has its own orbit. It really does. It's pretty fascinating to see how it's evolved. I've not seen a single episode. But whenever people tell me that it's got a great deep storyline, I believe them. I really believe them. I believe it's got a very rich storyline. It, it averages 97 to 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm sure it's got a great storyline. Let me tell you what else it has. It's got so much skin, nudity, and sexual abuse towards women, particularly in rape, that it now, even by people that don't love Jesus, it's considered just background noise. The shock value's gone. And now you have people exiting the show that don't even love Jesus because it disturbs him so much inside. That is also what we have. And I know a lot of people in this room have seen a lot of the 66 episodes. And I would just say, could you be getting entangled in civilian affairs? Could you be unpacking? Could you be of the world right now, even by doing that? You know, and by the way, Game of Thrones, that's just the easiest pinata to kick on right now. I am not culturally cherry-picking so much. I could have stuck another 20 shows in that same blank. I mean, that's just the day we live in. You just don't have to reach very far to find something. This is what John Piper says towards that exact show, Game of Thrones, but really it's a grander picture of 
what we're talking about today. He says this, in our day, when entertainment media is virtually the lingua franca, which is just common language, of the world, this is an invitation to be an alien. And I believe with all my heart that what the world needs is radically bold, sacrificially loving, God-besotted freaks and aliens. In other words, I'm inviting you to say no to the world for the sake of the world. Man, that's so important. The world does not need more cool, hip, culturally savvy, irrelevant copies of itself. That is a hoax that has duped thousands of young Christians. They think that they have to be hip, cool, savvy, culturally aware, watching everything in order to not be freakish, and that is undoing them morally and undoing their witness. So he, that's called a shot across the bow right there to millions and millions of Christians. And, and it got picked up, and it got run. So there is another news agency online. Some of you have seen it. I don't know I'd say it's news. It's more of cultural commentary. It's called the Young Turks. You've probably bounced around them on YouTube. Maybe some of you subscribe to them. They have over 3 million subscribers. But one of the main anchors for the Young Turks, Anna Kasparian, she caught a hold of John Piper's comments on the Game of Thrones, and she's a little bit of a Game of Thrones honk. So she's definitely going to have something to say back. She says this, you have this one life to live. Don't let it pass you by by thinking that there's an afterlife or other things to live for. Enjoy your life now. I mean, if you are religious, your God gave you life so you can live it. Again, eschatology influences everything. Influences everything. I can't preach it better than Anna just did. And I know what the argument is because I'm a missionary too. Luke, I'm learning about the culture. When I watch that, it's helping me be on mission. You've never baptized somebody because you were all caught up on your Game of Thrones. It's never happened. It's never going to happen. Never going to happen, friend. Just put it to bed. In fact, I remember the person that led me to Jesus. It's not because he, he like understood what a jello shot tasted like or what an addiction felt like, you know. Oh, you've had that too? Well, gosh, now I'm listening to what you have to say about the God. That's not how that happened. He was not a womanizer. He was not a drunk. And that is why his words were helpful to me. Listen, it might make you less of a freak, for sure, but being less of a freak doesn't make you more of a missionary. Being less of a freak doesn't make you more of a missionary. And friends, listen, what you watch is between you and God, okay? Listen, there is grace. If you listen to what I'm saying now, and you go home, and you say, forget Luke, I'm putting my Game of Thrones shirt on, and I'm going to watch all the seasons all over again. You know, I'm going to do it just to show him. Listen, God won't love you any less if you do. Go for it. It's not like you're putting a dent in his, his ability to love you. And if you stop watching it today because you're convicted by something like that or whatever show you could have put in the blank, God still doesn't love you anymore either. That's how grace works. You watch what you want. As for me and my house, we're not unpacking. Because I represent a king and I represent a kingdom and a place and it is not here. I want to be helpful to Knoxville. And listen, if this angers you and you feel like I'm being legalistic, just ask yourself if you're okay journaling in your prayer journal how Game of Thrones helped you enjoy Jesus so much better. Or better yet, today's the season finale. Just pretend Jesus is there watching it with you. Just invite him. That'll be fun, right? You could do that too. And if you have struggles with that or you need more scriptural basis on that, listen, you can email me, luke at legacyknoxville.com. Feel free to troll me too. I'll be waiting for you. But I'd love to help you if you want to learn a little bit more about how to be in the world and not of the world. Now, a good sermon, 
is able to afflict the comfortable, which I've hoped to do a little bit, but also comfort the afflicted, and I'm out of time to do that, but I will say something, okay, because some of you, you don't struggle so much with leaving this place. In fact, you can't wait to do it because you have such a horrible existence here. You're here, it's just terrible, it's awful. So whenever you hear Paul say something like to live as Christ and to die as gain, you know what part resonates to you? The gain part, the get me out of dodge part. This place stinks part. So just as I'm telling many other people in here not to elevate today or over tomorrow, I'm telling you not to elevate tomorrow over today. You have a calling, you have a purpose, and God works within that pain and that suffering, which we'll get into in a couple weeks, for his glory and for your good, right? Just because your life is weak and broken doesn't mean God's plan in you in this time is weak and broken. In fact, it means the opposite, right? And I'll tell you what, go ahead and stand with me. I gotta land this. And while you're standing, I'm just going to read a passage to you. Just close your eyes and then in a prayerful posture, just imagine, just imagine the picture that this paints. This is John again in the book of Revelation. In chapter 21, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Father, we thank you, and with a repentant heart, Lord, we repent from unpacking too much. It is just way too easy for me to look around and take from the here and now, and to treat the soil I'm standing on as forever, and the air I breathe as forever, and just trying to live for the day without even thinking about what you have prepared and how you prepared that with your very own life. So Lord, that we would be a helpful church to the city, that we would be a church of missionaries who have, as Abraham did, an eye forward, considering a place, waving a greeting, and knowing and accepting the truth that right here, right now, I'm just an exile. Lord, whatever that means, and it's going to mean different things for different people, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us clearly on what it is that we have settled too much in. Where is it that we are requiring the here and now to meet our needs where we have just believed that you can't? Lord, that today would be a day of repentance for us as a church. And, and even today would be a day of comfort for those of us who are just living a rotten, no good, terrible life right now. And to die as gain sounds pretty good compared to just another tomorrow. Maybe not even in a suicidal way, but in a way of I just don't even know if I could keep my chin up anymore. This is just too hard. Lord, that you would comfort us and you would afflict us. That you would comfort us and you would afflict us. Lord, you are so good and you are so kind and so loving and so noble and so gentle, so brilliant, so creative, so thoughtful for what you've done in the gospel and for what that very gospel means for us in our eschatology. 
that you've created a hospitable, warm, tender, and welcoming place, regardless of what we could do on this earth, but because of what you did on this earth. We love you. We worship you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Just as they get going, I forgot to mention that for, we, have, we have some visitors here today, some guests. Thanks for coming. We will have a communion set up in a couple posts there in the back. Feel free during the worship to go back in groups if you want to get um, communion and to be a part of that. Listen, if you're new and you don't know what all that stuff means, communion is something we do as a church family of believers that symbolizes and celebrates really what God has done and what he is preparing for us in the future. Um, if you are not a Christian, we just basically invite that you would become one rather than just go back there and eat some bread and some juice, that you would take Christ instead. If you're a guest and you are a Christian, we'd love you to be a part of that as well. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Luke. As Luke was preaching, I was I was wrecked. Um, so many emotions going through my mind and my body. And at first, I was like, "Man, this is such a burden to like to look to the future and to just constantly remind myself." But at the same time, it was like reassuring and comforting. Man, like even though this life can suck. God is preparing a place for us and there is a future where we will dwell with him in glory. Um, without the, the separation of sin. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I was like, I feel like where you're at on that spectrum totally depends on your view of Jesus. And I wanna encourage you with this word. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I feel like as Christians, we could wake up every day and just preach that to ourselves. You know, this is temporary. One day we will have perfect intimacy with God apart from sin. Let's praise him.